use of psychology explained where we go into a bit more detail in regards to how can we trigger responses from potential customers, visitors, website visitors, uh, social media visitors, and so on. Um, I'm expecting that you have some kind of background knowledge here so that you checked out other videos, slides, and so on, listened to lectures in regards to um, psychology, and did some research there, and now I'm just adding up on this here. If you haven't done so, check my slides, check previous videos, uh, so you can get the overview and know what we talk about here. All right, so before we start now, let's quickly set the basics here, which is, um, yeah, the self-actualization actualization pyramid. You all know that probably. Um, you've heard it during your studies, and if, if you read into the, the topic a little bit, you talked about this a lot. You heard me talking about this probably before, so I'm not going to repeat it, but just quickly leaving it here to remind everyone how it looks like. Yeah, we start with the physiological needs, like food, water, clothing, and so on. Then the safety needs, like job security, property, and so on. Then we go to the belonging, you know, romance, family, like uh, being part of a community, being part of a group, um, group communication. Um, then we look at the esteem, which then comes with like achievement, respect, self-respect, and so on. And eventually we move towards self-actualization and yeah, we find some meaning, we leave our legacy, we have a purpose that we, that we work for. So on the right-hand side, you can see then the desires that drive those needs. Our desire to survive, the desire to live comfortably, the desire to feel loved and to belong, the desire to feel important, and then the desire to push ourselves to the max to achieve what we set out to achieve. Okay, so that's the basics right now, and I, I assume we all heard this at some point before. Let's start. Um, and let's start by looking into like how memory works. How do we memorize things? Why? things, why do we memorize things, and how do we remember those things. So there are three stages when it comes to memory, how people remember things. And stage one is encoding, then the storage, then the retrieval. I think that's a rather straightforward approach, right? So the process of encoding, as you can see here, um, begins when we are born, right? So it occurs continuously ever since because, well, you experience life. <laughs> so for something to become a memory, it must first be picked up by one or more of our senses. That's how you realize something is happening, right? It could be visual, it could be sensory. You could listen to a podcast, for example, or a lecture and so on. So the memory starts off in the short-term storage, right? For example, when we learn how to tie our shoe. But once we have the process down, it goes into long-term storage, long-term memory, right? So we then are able to do it without actually having to think about step one, step two is like go over, then step three, go through. So yeah, we start with the short-term storage, go like step one, step two, step three, step one, step two, step three. But once we have this down, and it's a very scientific word I'm using here, once we have the down, the process, um, you can do it over and over again, and then it's in the long-term memory and we don't have to active, actively think about it anymore. It's within us, so to speak. So now those, this leads us to those important types of memory, right? So apparently there are different types of memory because we just said it starts in short term, eventually it moves to long term. Before that, we have one other um, type of memory, which is the glance and forget. The type of memory you have in lectures, looking at videos, listening to podcasts, and so on. So glance and forget means what you can see here. 
that in seconds you forget what we just saw already. Yeah, so the vast majority of social media, for example, and mass media, is just that. You glance and you forget. Yeah, so that's why in those channels you have to repeat, right? Repetition, 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 so that the audience sees it more frequently and that they won't forget eventually. Yeah, short-term memory then evaporates in a few minutes or hours. This might be just enough time to move a person to do something, but it could also be that there's a misunderstanding, right? Because you don't have time to go into detail, into depth. So if I'm saying something here, you might remember it for a few minutes, for a few hours, if I add a call to action, hey, do this now. But it might also then lead to a misunderstanding because you don't have time to actually discuss things. As you can see also here, still under the uh, second uh, second category, and this may be just enough time to move a person to action, but with the risk of misunderstanding of your product leading to card abandonment. What do I mean by this? That means, let's say you do digital marketing, you have an uh, e-commerce store, marketplace or whatever, and then I think I know how your marketplace works. I go like, yes, check out, and then something pops up, unexpected shipping costs, or it's not available in my country, or I, I didn't enter the, all the information that you wanted. I get upset, I'm like, oh, what? I didn't want, um, I don't know, I don't want to think about it close. And then I abandon the shopping cart and I'm not going to use what you offer here. Long-term memory then, of course, lasts several hours, a day, maybe even a week. And in a few instances, tying your shoes, hopefully uh, a lifetime. Now, once you achieve long-term memory, also still here on the slide, your odds of closing a deal are significantly enhanced. So, and this is also then how the customer become an advocate or be become advocates and they will stick with you in the long run. Meaning if you, I think that, that makes sense, right? If you can have a connection that is longer, that makes them think about you in a long term, they will stick with you and they will advocate for you and they will come back to you. It's just like life actually, right? It's like if you make someone like you, stick with you, the relationship will prosper. Okay, enough life lessons here, but you know what I'm saying, I, I believe. So those are the important types of memory that we are using here for today. So how do we now create long-term memories is the question, because we just realized long-term memories are <clears throat> the best. So how do we create them, right? Well, there are a few factors there that can help us to achieve this. So first we talk about motivation and repetition. So immort immort immortal, <laughs> Hopefully, important memories typically move from short-term memory, because that's how almost every memory starts, to long-term memory. And so the transfer of the information to long-term memory for more permanent storage can happen in several steps. It doesn't happen like this, right? That's important. Information can be committed into the long-term memory via repetition. So if you repeat things over and over and over again, that's why in some of those videos or also some of the lectures that you're seeing, there will be topics that will be repeated. Yeah, it's not because I think, oh, you didn't get it or you forgot about it. Well, actually, well, yeah, you forgot about it and that's why I'm repeating it so that it still sticks with you and that eventually it moves into the long-term memory. That's the idea. Yeah, so for example, as you can see here on the slide, such as studying for a test, hmm, see, we know that, or repeatedly taking steps until walking can be performed without thinking. Yeah, so if you're a baby, you start walking and then you have to think Babies try to think and figure out how to do it, but eventually they just do it, which is awesome. And what makes you repeat, so what makes you take repetitive steps? The first place you forget it and it doesn't work. What makes you take more repetitions? Motivation, right? So motivation is 
crucial to uh, achieve repetition, a high repetition especially. So then we have to discuss what motivates us, what makes us do things. And there will be another lecture, video probably as well, on um, motivation because I assume we know that there are different factors of motivation, but we will discuss how to actually um, use those factors of motivation like external motivation, uh, intrinsic motivation, and so on. So, but for now, yeah, we need to figure out how to motivate our potential customers, target audience, to repeat things so that they will use their long-term memory with us. Okay. So now that's an, uh, a quick game if you want to, um, just a thought experiment for now. If you, if you look at the, the words here, right? And I would ask you, I say, you have 30 seconds, remember as many words as you can. And then after 30 seconds, and you look at this and then I'm moving away, I would be like, okay, do the same thing again. And then if I ask you, what do you, what do you remember, right, from those words? There, most of you would have different ways of memorizing them. But how do we memorize them? Do we memorize them just word by word, like nine, swap, sell, or do we go nine plugs army? Or do you even say, okay, there are different categories in there that, I, that I'm using to memorize, to make it easier to memorize. They're like, I don't know, nature, there are animals, there are, there's furniture and so on. So there are ways to trick our brain or the brain of our users later on into memorizing things a little bit easier. And we will go down that road now to see what we can do in order to achieve that. So one of those things, as I just mentioned, could be clustering. So clustering, right? Um, what is clustering or what I just mentioned before? You cluster certain artifacts, certain things, certain information in order to make it easier for you to come back to it. So for example, right, that's, a cl that's clustering here. Um, if you go to online supermarket, for example, you would see, okay, baked goods could be then rye bread, what, any kind of bread, fruits and vegetables, um, where you can see mushrooms, tomatoes, other kinds of fruits, dairy, cheese, and so on. So that's, that's categories, clustering, and that makes it easier to understand. So if we cluster, yeah, we can also help our audience to understand what we're selling, what we're doing. So if you're running websites, social media profiles, whatever you're doing, ads, whatever you're doing, um, you want them to be able to understand what they're looking at. Because if the confusion is high, they're not following up. So using clusters on your website, marketplaces, social media, whatever, makes it easier for your audience to understand it and hence makes it easier to understand what it's about, not being confused, and then taking the next steps. So using clusters can definitely help. Now, clusters, I think, made sense, and most people have seen it before, the categories on Amazon, Lazada, whatnot. So let's talk about a few other approaches that might not be that obvious, but once you mention it, I'm sure you will be like, oh, okay, right, I get it. So one of those, and I really like this one because we can see that happening all the time, is the decoy effect. So a decoy effect is a phenomenon whereby consumers, as you can see here, change their preference between two options when presented with a third option. 
And this is like a pricing strategy that marketers use a lot to get you to switch your choice from one option to a more expensive or more profitable one for them. So as you can see in the picture on the left, you have like three choices, the basic one, which is the cheapest one, the unlimited one, and then you have in the middle, the standard one. And so often, and you can see the standard one is even highlighted, so often we choose the standard one because it just looks cheaper to us, right? You say, okay, I pay, I pay more than a basic one, but it's cheaper than unlimited and I have more options than in the basic. So there seems to be a good deal. Plus it's green, that means most people pick it. So I'm gonna pick it now. You can see here one example with like the iPhone. Yes, you can see you can have the uh, 32 gigabyte memory iPhone, for example, then you have the 120 gigabyte memory iPhone and then the 256 gigabyte memory iPhone. And then the decoy is the one, is the 128 gigabyte memory, which, which then makes you go like, oh yeah, sure, maybe I don't want the smallest one, but I don't want to pay money for the, the most expensive one. So I go for the decoy one and it's highlighted as like the most chosen one or something like this. Yeah, same with like, plan sign up for gym memberships for website hosting whatever if you have only two plans blue or green two options you say hmm okay the green one seems too expensive to me right now that's that's the, the max plan that they have i don't need a max plan if you add another plan that's even more expensive then you go like okay well i guess the green one is reasonable because it's not as expensive so okay i'm gonna pick this one that's that's the decoy effect so i think we see this quite a lot um and we have seen this happening in marketing all the time. And now that we understand how it works, I think that makes sense, right? So you would choose your key product, structure the key product, then you create a decoy, and you should have at least, of course, three offers, because otherwise it's hard to implement a decoy here. And you price the decoy close to your key product, but not, not completely up there, of course. And so I hope that makes sense and it could be something that you could be using later on. Another one, another one, another one that I, that I found very interesting is um, reciprocity because it's something that also happens rather, rather subconsciously. So reciprocity means uh, it's the principle of respect for humans. So what does it mean? So if someone brings something first to you, you feel obligated to also bring something back to them, to give them something back, right? So that's the rule of reciprocity. We are obligated to repay favors. So I do you a favor, you do me a favor, and so on. So reciprocity, according to research, is one of the six principles, as it states here, for persuading people that this um, that that simply apply everywhere in life, and it also helps with marketing, of course. So if you bring value to something to the target audience, they will compensate you with giving something back, and it could be money, for example. So looking at this, and it's, I'm, I'm pausing here for a second because if you look at this, we can see that this is something that might not, I don't know how to say it, it might not be really obvious on one hand, but it is very obvious on the other. So obvious on the other, meaning hmm, how to say it without sounding uh, condescending, but meaning it's not really scientific, right? So we know it's happening, but it's not really reasonable. Like just because you give me value, I didn't ask for you to bring me any value, but you still do it. So now I feel um, obligated to give something back to you. So even if you bring me value without me asking for it, 
I still feel like, okay, now I have to give something back to you. So if we as marketers bring some value to the target audience, even so they didn't ask for it in the first place, but if we find where they are and then find a way to interact with them and give them something of value, they still feel obligated to get back at us and maybe even make business, do business with us. And so this could be something to, uh, worth thinking about. So think about not only selling, 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 and think about adding value to your target audience and they will repay you with them taking their business to you. An example for a friend at work invites you to a birthday party. Um, so you have to then, or you feel like you have to get back at them and bring something to the birthday party. Um, or at the restaurant, what happens a lot, like free surprise men at the restaurant. Um, lots of restaurants do this, right? So then you feel like, oh, that was very nice. Either then you, you leave like an extra review or you give some extra tip. Even though it's just a mint, but research has shown that just aim this mint increases the amount of tips giving in a restaurant. So give some mints to your audience. <laughs> so here are five tips for, um, for reciprocity in, in business and make your customers feel special and unique. Nice. Um, yeah, don't forget that um, gifts work. So if it's something valuable, even if it's a doesn't mean monetary valuable. If it's a mint at a restaurant that just like refreshes your breath and so on, it sounds really, I don't know, weird, but it does work. Um, suggest ways that customers may reciprocate. So say, we don't need the money for example in a restaurant. Like this, leave a review on TripAdvisor or on Wong Nai or wherever. Don't wait for someone else to give first, so be the first to give, because if you give first, then you increase the urgency for the other party to give back to you. And then once you have this established, you will keep the relationship going. You don't just do it once. This happens a lot with companies like telecommunication companies, for example. They give you like great deals to sign up for their plans, right? But then once you are a customer, after like a year or two, those plans disappear and they just renew you on the normal plan while new customers always get like specials. So once, so I disagree with this, with this um, way of doing business. So what you should be doing is you should keep the relationship going and should also treat existing customers in this way. So always give them something of value. They will give something back to you. Yeah, so here are a few more examples. So if you add such interesting articles, for example, and you publish them, um, then others will get back to you by sharing those, for example, by linking back to you and so on. Yeah, here also, see the customers can enjoy free Wi-Fi here. If they enjoy the free Wi-Fi there, then they will share about it, will talk, will talk about it, will share it on their, on their feed and so on. Others will know about it and then we'll like Telstra in this case. So don't forget reciprocity works. What also works is the verbatim effect. So the verbatim effect is, look at the headline. <laughs> so the verbatim effect is a psychological bias and memory that predisposes people to remember the gist of what they've read or heard more than a specific language used to describe it in more detail. What does it mean? Wait for it. So in today's world, people are always on a go in a rush, right? Skimming and headline scanning have become the new type of reading. So we're not really reading in detail anymore. We know that. 
I don't have time for those 700 tabs open, several apps open, notifications here and there, always commuting, always on the run. We don't have time for anything. So then the verbatim effect comes into, into play, meaning, let me go back one slide. We're only looking at the headline and maybe the first few sentences, the summary and so on. Then we, then we think we know what's happening. So when you watch an advertisement, you'll remember what the advertisement is more um, about, then you remember what the people in the advertising actually said, right? And you press the power button on your computer to initiate the startup process and upon seeing a login screen, enter your username and your password to get into the device. People don't remember that. That's like the sequence that you have to do, right? No one remembers that. You remember, start your computer. So verbatim means we're replacing the more complex messaging with something easy to remember, like the gist of what we just witnessed. Why? Well, because people are heads are hungry. So given that we have this verbatim effect, you can try to pack, pack as much relevant information into your headline and maybe the first summary paragraph is one, two, three lines. And your headline is only a few words, right? That should sum up the entire post. So you have to use it wisely. And now what I hate again, but like BuzzFeed and, and so on, um, they're obviously great at making you click, but they're not really great at su summarizing what it's about. So if I ask you what was the last BuzzFeed article you clicked on, I'm not sure if you can rem remember that because you just clicked on it and then short to memory, it was fun for a short time, and then it's gone. 13 reasons, blah, blah, whatever, right? But now it's gone. So there could be better headlines for us if we want um, our audience to remember at least a few things, a few key points. Why does it work again? Because the majority of people use headlines to decide whether or not to read your article. So if the article is awesome, but the headline is terrible, no one's gonna read it, no one's gonna click on it, right? So you need to have great headlines. And this is now where BuzzFeed comes and said, says, hold my, hold my click-through rate for a second. Look at our CTR, it's so high, we're, we're like doing awesome. And I have to agree to some extent, the click-through rate probably is rather high because they always have like five reasons, seven ways, nine, whatever uh, on BuzzFeed. And that works to make people click, to make people remember and to think about the topic, I'm not sure. So, but find the right headline, finding the right headline, certainly important to make people check out your article, blog post, podcast, your advertisement, and so on. Um, there's a really good example here with the toggle, and that's what I'm gonna share in the additional files so that you can just check it out, how, how to use the verbatim effect, for example. So check that out in the additional files, um, think about it, and then we discuss those things um, if you want to, of course. All right, then my favorite um, example of the day, or my favorite psychological approach, if you want to, of the day, because it's actually a German word. So finally, my native language comes into play. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Um, and Bader-Meinhof is based on uh, a former terrorist organization in Germany. Bader-Meinhof are two surnames of those founders of the organization. And I will explain in a second how this came to be. But um, what, is, what is the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, right? So here's an example. 
So, okay, it might just be me, but does anyone else ever see something or hear about something for the first time and then all of a sudden you see the thing or hear about it all the time, right? So you're not aware of it, then it happens once, you get an explanation right now, then all of a sudden you see it all the time, everywhere you go like, oh God, there it is again, right? And so that's the bottom minor phenomenon. So now, how, where does it come from or where does it came, uh, how does it happen and what, what is it? So the bottom minor phenomenon talks about frequency illusion or recency illusion. So once your brain seems to be excited by the fact that you've learned something new, a selective attention occurs. So your brain thinks, hey, that's awesome. I just heard about this. Look, it's here again. So that's related to selective attention and confirmation bias. And so that's what we have because we don't pay similar attention to all the things around us, right? There are too many things happening all the time. So we pay more attention to things that we can make sense of. So if I heard something about whatever, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, now you will go out and will be like, oh, that's Bader-Meinhof, that's Bader-Meinhof. And while before you would have never thought about it because you didn't know about it, so you didn't pay attention to it. Also confirmation bias, that means it confirms what we already believe, what we think we know. And if this confirmation happens, we feel better. It's like, hey, I know that, I know what it is. That's Bader-Meinhof right there, for example. We're feeling more confident, we're feeling happy that we know this, right? Um, now, why the name Bader-Meinhof, right? So Bader-Meinhof, again, those two surnames from those German, I'm just gonna call it terrorists. If you talk to Germans, there are some that are gonna argue they're not terrorists. They're classified as terrorist organization. So what they did, they, back then, I believe it was the 70s, please don't nail me on that. Um, they did have run some, um, I know, I think, they placed bombs, I believe, but they also ran around with guns and tried to threaten people and kidnap and whatnot. But the thing is, it didn't happen all the time, of course. There were a few instances where it happened, but once you've seen it happening on the news, like, oh my God, there are terrorists are everywhere. Oh no, we have to hide inside. You can't trust anyone. Bader Meinhof is gonna take over Germany. They're not gonna stop and so on. So the panic was there because once you've seen it in the news and once this made it into like the big news, Everyone saw it happening all the time. And so that's basically the bottom line of phenomenon, um, just to let you know where the name comes from. So back to marketing now though, no terrorism here. Well, <laughs> um, back to marketing, so how does, it, how does it work, right? So we try to work with selective attention at first. It kicks in when you're struck by a new word, a thing or idea. After it, you unconsciously keep an eye out for this. So we need to figure out how to get selective attention onto our product, service, whatever we're use, using. That's why so many services, advertisements work with buzzwords. That's, what, that's why buzzwords work, because buzzwords catch attention. People remember it and then they're like, ha, huh, that's like, I know, buzzword here, Thailand 4.0, for example, right? So buzzwords work just like, this is one reason why buzzwords work. Once we trigger this, we move to the confirmation bias. That's the second part of the process, right? It reassures you that each sighting is proof of your impression that yes, this is the Bada Minos terrorist group right now. So it's happening again, that's terrorism. Yes, this is Thailand 4.0, this is this. Yeah, so you're confirming that what you know is true and so you will keep looking for it. It's like if you see like a new car, like I know in the beginning when what came out, uh, I don't know, the, the new Mini back like I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever and then First you didn't see them, once you saw the new Mini Cooper, you're like, it's everywhere because you keep an eye open for it, right? Um, 
back home in Germany, we had like this mart, right? This, I, I'm assuming all over Europe, I'm guessing, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it here in, in, in Asia, um, but it's the, the smart, the, the car, the smart, right? First, you've never seen it like a really small car. And then once you see, you've seen one, you, you see it everywhere. So this is basically the bottom minor phenomenon. A selective attention, or it looks different, and then you see it all the time. How do we use it in marketing? Well, yeah, you create awareness by capturing attention first. And yeah, so trigger um, something so that the audience will have um, the awareness of your product and then will recognize your advertisement all the time, for example. So strong headlines, vibrant images, and so on. I've got an example here. So this is a nice example uh, for like uh, ad advertising for diamonds. Getting rid of headaches since 1888. <laughs> diamonds. Or think about it. It was cost more. Like it was very much attention grabbing. And once you've seen it and it's like the way they advertise with the all black and the shiny diamond, it just grabs your attention and you will recognize it over and over again. Yeah, similar here, uh, the Durix um, advertisement. I love herpes, I love syphil, I love pregnant, and so on. Funny, attention grabbing, and once you've seen it, you will see it then everywhere. You say, okay, I, I rec recognize it right away. Yeah, great job. And then you will use complementary marketing techniques to um, make it look like it's everywhere. Yeah, so it, the frequency illusion is most effective when you pair it with other techniques, social proof, for example, because via social proof, you get more exposure than um, yeah, via endorsements, via influencers, for example, using UGC, user-generated content as well, make the users generate content about your brand, about the message that you're sending out, about that style of messaging, and you have them keep the, the same theme uh, so that more people will see that same pattern everywhere. And that's then enforcing um, the bottom minor phenomenon. So that's something that I find very interesting and that I think we can take away from today's class, or oh, class lesson, lecture, uh, what we could try using. Yeah, there are a few stats out there that say it does help a lot and it increases sales and so on. And then they also try to use this. So here, big commerce, for example, yeah, like tries to grab your attention with like those, hey, 55% increase in monthly sales. And then once you've seen it, you keep seeing that. Here also from uh, on IMDb, for example, or on um, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes and so on, you can see the review of, in this case, the Joker movie, but also other movies and, and so on. And once you've seen that, you will see A, those review scales everywhere, and B, it also confirms what you already say you know um, or think you know, and that makes it go like, oh yeah, right, and it's right, I knew it, and it's terrible, or it's awesome. Um, and then you can work with this because then the audience thinks about it, and once the audience actually thinks about it, um, in this case, it being what you have to offer, they will see you more frequently. So even here, if the review is negative, or well, not that great, also, I have to say, I didn't like the movie that much, don't hate, um, but doesn't matter because they think about you. And if you think about you, they will see the Joker poster everywhere. They will see the Joker movie everywhere because it's so much talked about and everyone knows that post, that those stairs and just the overall setting of how the Joker looks like. So the last step here for how to do this, how to use it in marketing, repeat yourself. You said it before, repetition is important. 
and repetition can increase frequency, right? So now we bring it all together, as you can see. So you need to repeat yourself, but of course you shouldn't be boring. So you wanna repeat your message, you wanna repeat the style, your branding, brand experience, and so on, but you don't want to send this exactly the same message with exactly the same visuals because that would be boring. So you need to find a way to keep it entertaining while still being consistent and coherent. Yeah, so the Zurich example for, uh, let me go back, they could change the names, for example, they could change the diseases, I'm here. The diamond example, they will change the headlines a little bit while still keeping the same style, keeping the same marketing approach, um, the brand experience, right? So that's what you're trying to do. Um, in order to be okay seeing your repeat advertisements, we need also to then find a way to motivate what we had early on, the target audience to then maybe interact with you. All right, So, but it's a different video where we go into a deep dive into how do we motivate and how do we keep motivation up? All right, so that's it for the quick dive into a few um, psychological phenomenons that we can use for digital marketing. I hope that makes sense. If you have any questions, um, please do let me know, shout out, and then we discuss things a little bit further um, while also connecting it with like another video and another lecture on psychology and basic psychological principles. Thank you.